Father, thank you for your word and your truth. And we started out this morning looking at a scripture passage that told us that you would uh, teach us. And that's what I'm asking now, that you would teach us. I thank you for the time you allowed me to study and me to look and the things you've taught me. Uh, now I'm asking that you would use your word in the lives of all of us as we're gathered together here today. That we would know that we have spent time with you. I thank you for these folks and the impact they continue to have in my life, uh, Father, as they as they live in obedience to you and as they walk and as they uh, face struggles and challenges and just they have been such an encouragement. I pray you continue to help us to minister into the lives of others as well uh, for your glory and for your honor. Uh, And we want to lay ourselves open before you, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. That should have been there. Luke chapter 15, turn there. Luke chapter 15, page 962 in the Pew Bible. Uh, there's three parables in Luke 15. They're probably, um, all three of them are familiar to many of you. Uh, we are going to kind of go through all three of them um, one at a time. We'll take them, you know, we'll go through them one at a time and um, work our way through the chapter there. So follow along, beginning with verse 1, Luke chapter 15. It says, All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching uh, to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told him this parable, What man among you who has 100 sheep and loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it? When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. And coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together, saying to them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Now, this guy has a 100 sheep. Now, Jesus is telling parables to try to illustrate a point to uh, those who listen and those who hear. And, you know, he said, talks about a guy with a hundred sheep. That's a good amount of sheep. He's not, you know, a, he's not a poor man, but he's also not, you know, uh, Bill Gates or anybody like that. Uh, he's, he's not obnoxi- obnoxiously wealthy. Hmm. Um, we'd all like to be obnoxious, wouldn't we? Uh, he's, not, he's not ridiculously wealthy, but he is also not, not a poor guy. Now, losing one is really, that's a small percentage. I mean, think about it. He has 100 sheep. Um, you really can't expect them all to make it. You know, I've never been a shepherd, but I remember visiting a pig farm. That was something. But as we were visiting the pig farm, and uh, I mean, it was huge. It was a huge thing. And um, it was out in Iowa. We were with some friends of ours, stopped to see them in their ministry. And uh, and we went there. And um, you guys remember, the, there's, all, there's this huge barn with all these pigs there. And then there's a pile of, you know, debris and stuff and a few dead pigs on there. Which, to us, we went by and it was kind of like, whoa, whoa. Did anybody notice this dead pig? Uh, you know, so this guy's got a hundred sheep. I mean, you know, you really can't expect all of them to make it, can you? I mean, you got wolves, lions, thieves, just plain attrition through, you know, through natural death. Um, but it's a big deal if it's yours. I mean, if you have a hundred and you lose one of them, it's a big deal if it's yours. Or it's a big deal if you're the one who's lost. 
you know, that one, that one who is lost. Each, each one is important. You know, each one is important. But the one that is lost then begins to take a focus, begins to take a, a priority. You know, it begins to get more of our attention here. You know, now think about it here too. The sheep that, the sheep that didn't uh, stray, they continued to enjoy the care of the shepherd. They continued to enjoy, you know, the, the whole way the shepherd cared for them. Don't, you know, don't overlook that. But for the lost one, what you need to remember for the lost one, it's a matter of life and death. It's a matter of life and death. The sheep would not survive long on its own out in the wilderness. That's where they would take them to graze. And they would not last long at all. Being lost really was certain death for them. And it was certain death for that sheep who was lost. And it just made sense that the shepherd would go look for the one that was lost. You know, the one who was in need. That's why Jesus said, what man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one does not leave the ninety-nine, you know, in the open field and go after the lost one when, when he finds it. I mean, it's kind of like, who wouldn't do this? Who wouldn't do that? I mean, this is kind of what he's saying. The expected answer there was, well, yeah, we'd go look for it. You know, we, we would, we would, and we'd go look for that sheep. Now, notice when the sheep is found, it results in great rejoicing, it says. And Jesus relates that rejoicing and that found sheep. He relates that to one, you know, one lost sinner. That one lost sheep that is found, he relates that to one lost sinner who was found. And he says there's great rejoicing over each sinner who repents. A sinner who repents. Now, uh, the author of that devotional that we're going through, um, Jenny and I and Ken and Sarah are going through this, you know, this year. Um, he, he described repentance this way. He said, we stop walking away from Jesus and start walking toward him. We stop walking away from Jesus and start walking toward him. And I thought, boy, that's a good picture. And that's just a good picture of, of, what, of repentance. You know, instead of pulling away from Jesus, and then we begin to pull toward him. Instead of, you know, walking away and doing our own thing, you know, we, we walk toward him. And I hate to use the phrase, do his thing, but, you know, comparison-wise, uh, that's what it is. You know, it's a real good picture of what, of, of what repentance looks like, of what it results in. Repentance results in living a different way than you were before. I mean, and there, there's the picture for you. You know, when you repented, you quit walking away from God. You began walking with him. When you came into a relationship with Jesus, you know, there was great rejoicing in heaven. Did you ever think about that? When you came to great rejoicing in heaven. Great rejoicing because they know what you have just entered into. Great rejoicing because they know the new life that you have now started when you come to a relationship with him. Now let's pick up with the second parable, verse 8. Or what woman who has ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she finds it, she calls her woman friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me because I have found the silver coin I lost. I tell you, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. Now, the silver coin, really, that was a very good commodity to have. Uh, you know, we're used, to, we're used to simply going and paying for something, simply going and paying cash for something. We are in a cash-based society. 
I mean, for the most part, the, the vast majority of people, and, and I'm, you know, and, and all of you, while you may trade things sometimes, really we are in a cash-based society, and, and that's what we're used to. They were much more, a, a much more agrarian society, you know, agriculturally based, and, and bartering was a big way that they obtained things. You know, including food. Now, if I, if, if I went to a blacksmith because I broke something and I needed it fixed, I would go to that blacksmith and I'd say, you fix this for me and I'll, you know, I'll give you four ears of corn. Well, you know, that's good if, if, you know, the guy really likes corn and, and, uh, you know, there's a shortage of corn that year, but if he doesn't like corn and, He's going to say, yeah, nope, that ain't going to cut it. You see, well, what about that? You know, but that's all I have to give. You know, all I have to give is, is corn. So, what, you know, then what, what about 12 years? What about, you know, yeah, so it's to whatever they, you know, they, they would want. But if I show up with a silver coin, that's kind of carte blanche for them, you know. Can you fix this for me? I happen to have a silver coin. Woo, dude. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you see, so losing a silver coin, it, you know, it, it's a, a much more you know, important thing. Silver was very versatile for them. You know, it could be used virtually anywhere. Uh, you know, and so if I happened to have silver coins, I could make a deal with pretty much anyone. I mean, they're, they're, you know, a lot more doors were open to me. Now, while the shepherd in the first parable only lost 1% of his sheep, this woman here lost 10% of her silver. That's a little bit more of a significant loss to lose 10% of your stuff as she did. Now, again, a very determined, a very diligent effort was made to find what was lost, you know. Um, the house, at most, would have had probably one small window. And so when it talks about lighting a lamp, even during the daytime, they would have had to light a lamp to, you know, to be able to see into the corners and to be able to see well. So it says, you know, she lit this lamp and the house got a real good cleaning. Kind of makes me wonder if her husband hit it. But that's another story. Um, you know, a good going through to find this to find this silver coin. Now, notice a, very, a, a similarity here between the first parable and the second parable. This woman searched until she found it. We're told that when they went to look for the lost sheep, they searched until they found it. They weren't going to settle for not finding it. They weren't going to settle for, you know, for less than that. They searched until they found. She didn't stop because it was too much work. You know, the, the shepherd looking for it didn't stop because, well, this is just hard. You know, they didn't do that. They didn't stop because it was too hard. They didn't stop because it was too much work. They continued and searched until they found it. And once again, we're told, you know, that they rejoice and the comparison is made to rejoicing. Notice what it says in the presence of God's angels over one sinner who repents. There's that picture again, the one who repents. The Amplified Bible defines repentance uh, uh, this way. It says, you know, it's changing your inner self. Changing your inner self, your old ways of thinking. Regrets past sins and lives your life in a way that proves repentance and seeks God's purpose for your life. 
You see, once again, what they're saying is there was, there's a change in the, there, there's a change on the inside in the attitude, but it results in a change on the outside in actions. That it's not just a, a changing of your mind. You see, if repentance doesn't affect your living, then I would say you really haven't repented. What you're doing is, if you, if you say you've repented, but you haven't changed your way of living, what you're really doing is you're playing games. You're just playing mind games, and I would question whether or not you really have a relationship to Christ. If there's not been any change in your life, if you think you could just keep going on, you know, the way you've been doing it, ignoring him and doing your own thing, I think there's a real question there then as to the relationship with Christ. Let's look at this third parable, beginning with verse 11. Pick up with verse 11. This, is, this parable is longer than the first two combined. So, uh, you know, this is certainly the longer of all three. It says, he also said a man had two sons. The younger one of them said to his father, Father, give me a share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Now, that wouldn't be totally unusual. That wouldn't be totally unheard of, I guess I would say. It would be, in a sense, unusual, but not unheard of. Um, they would, you know, he would distribute those assets, but really, for the most part, they were expected not to sell them until the father would pass. Uh, the father would still enjoy the benefits of, of those assets here. But verse 13, not many days later, the younger son just threw all that away and gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country, sent him into the fields to feed pigs of all things. You have a Jewish guy feeding pigs, as Jesus is talking you know, to, to that crowd there. That's what they would be thinking. Uh, verse 16, he longed to eat his fill from the carob pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. Doesn't sound appetizing to me at all. When he came to his senses... He said, how many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his, his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened, fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So you know they weren't Baptists. Um, so he summoned, I thought that would be pretty loud. You know, it would be pretty loud to hear the, you know, the music and the dancing. Uh, so he summoned one of his servants and asked uh, what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I've been slaving many years for you, 
At least he was enjoying what he did. I was enslaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So the younger son here, he takes what was provided, uh, you know, and he takes that with him, and he chose to misuse it. I mean, we all have a choice of how we use what we're given. <coughs> this son chose to misuse it. He chose to, it says, squander. There's a word for you. Chose to squander. And according to verse 30, one of the ways he misused the money, one of the ways he squandered what his father had given him, was to pay prostitutes, an obvious sin. You know, it's something that, you know, they didn't even have to debate about. Uh, you choose how you will use, you know, what God provides you with. And you either you use it to honor God or you use it selfishly according to your own whims. You use it and honor him or you just use it selfishly for your own whims. This is true of your money. This is true of your possessions. This is true of your time. This is true of your abilities. With all of those, you are using, you know, you, you are using your, your money to honor him or for your own whims. You are using your possessions to honor him or for your own whims. You are using your time to honor God or for your own agenda. You know, your ability, same thing, to honor God or for your own agenda. You know, some people, some people have to end up in pretty dire straits here before they'll repent and look for help. This son, it says he had nothing. You know, it was gone. He was flat broke. And he began to realize, hey, what did I do here? You know, even the hired help in my father's house are better off than I am. You know, I, I, I'm in such a destitute, you know, thing. And, and, you know, just very dire straits. To look for help. Now here, you know, it's not just to look for help. Some people look for help and continue to be foolish with what they have. You know, when we have people come by and they ask for help, um, you know, Pastor Kent and I have to make a determination. Are they looking for help just so they can continue foolishness and continue wasting, uh, you know, funds? Or are they looking for help to actually begin to make a change? There's a difference. You, know, you can look for help just so you can continue to be goofy, just so you can continue to be stupid. I don't always use that word, um, but it fits well here. You know, you can continue, you can ask for help and, and look to God, and, and thinking that it's just so that you can continue to be to be stupid. Or, you know, you know, the other side of that is when you repent and you look for help. Why? To change your way of life, to change your way of living. You know, whether or not help comes, this son determined in himself he was going to change the way he lived. Even if the help didn't come, I will go to my father and I'll tell him, just make me one of your slaves. You know, it wasn't even, he's, I'm going to change my life. Even if I just end up being a slave in my father's house, I'm going to change my life. I can't expect him to make me a son again, I'm just, but I am going to change my life. You know, changing, changing your ways is not dependent upon getting help. If it is, then you're like, what you're doing is bargaining. You're not, 
You're not changing your ways at all. You're bargaining. You're not repenting. You know, changing your ways shows that, you know, that you're serious. You know, and, and, and you want more than just help. You know, you want to change your life and your living. Look at verse 18 and 19. The son makes the decision, that internal change. He's going to return to his father. And then look at verse 20. He takes action in line with that decision. That's repentance. He made an internal change. And then verse 20, he, make, he puts action to it. There is the picture of repentance. Now, it seems that the father had left a clear impression on the son, you know, that, that he could always come back, that he would always be accepted. You know, that's, boy, that's one of the things that, you know, I always wanted to communicate to my kids. And, you know, now we're trying to communicate to our grandchildren. I will always love you. I will always love you. There is nothing that is going to change that. I may not agree with your choices sometimes. I may not uh, agree with, you know, what you're doing, but I will always love you. Here's the, you know, it seems that the father made that, that impression on his son that he could come back. Now, the father wasn't going to help the son sin. He was not going to help him destroy himself. You know, and neither should you as parents do that. You should not help your children sin. You should not make it easier for them to sin. You should not make it easier for them to destroy themselves. You should never expect God to help you do that either. Don't expect God to help you sin. Don't expect God to help you destroy yourself. But here, the father was ready to do all he could to welcome the son back into the family. He wanted, he wanted the son to feel welcomed, not condemned. Well, if you would have listened to me, well, I told you this was going to happen. Just take that just take that out of your vocabulary, really. And it's it's hard. It's hard to take that out of your vocabulary. It really is. You know, I'd love to tell you that that I've done that, but you know, the truth is it's you know quit saying to your wife or to your husband, Well, I told you this. That, that, he accepts him, he accepts him, you know, in there, and, and you know, he, he, wasn't, he wasn't trying to make him feel bad at all. He wasn't trying to make him feel condemned at all. The father's actions showed complete forgiveness and acceptance of the son. Complete forgiveness and acceptance. Notice what it says. He gave him the best robe. That's a sign of honor, a sign of distinction. That somebody would have the best robe at, at a wedding. Uh, who has the white dress on? Well, it should only be the it should only be the bride, you know. Uh, but you know the the you know the, the the bride is dressed in a certain way right? that that of of honor. You know, give him the best robe. That sign of honor and distinction it says, put a ring on his finger. That, that ring was a sign of authority. Think of it as a signet ring. That sign of authority. That sign of he belongs here. You know, he is one. And it says, put sandals on his feet. Sandals distinguished him. Him as a free man and not as a slave. I'll go back to my father and I'll be happy and I'll be content just to be one of his slaves. The father said, put sandals on his feet. He's not a slave. He's my son. And then he says, you know, they, they killed the fatted calf. The fatted calf was for special occasions, for special guests. And it's something special had happened here. The son didn't have to earn a spot. 
He did not have to prove himself. It wasn't a matter of, of works, but it was a gift from the Father. The passage that Jeff read this morning from Titus 3, 5 in, in the King James, uh, Titus 3, verse 5 in the King James says, you know, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Not by works of righteousness, but according to his mercy he saved us. You know, he, he, you know, the whole the, the son didn't have to earn that spot. It was all all that all that came there was a gift from the father, you know, and a father. And and so far, these are all just kind of three disjointed things. So let, let me show you how I see these three parables pulling together for us today. In all three parables, we have this, the picture of people rejoicing. They rejoiced over the found sheep, over the lost coin, over the repentant son. Did you notice it went from 1%, I told you, with the sheep to 10%? Well, if you're going to go percentages, it was 50% of his sons. But you have a kid, you know, that's not how you measure it. That's not how you measure it. The value of what was lost increased until it hit that one where it was through the roof. You know, and, and when when they you know when they come back and they're found, they all called others together to rejoice with them. We really need to rejoice more. We do. We need to rejoice more with others. You know, together with others, we need to rejoice. We need to you know we we need to we need to spend time with encouraging and, and interacting. You know, but that rejoicing there, I think we really do. But here's what I think ties all of this together. Look at the first two verses. I think, I think those first two verses are critical in understanding all three parables. Look at it, what it says. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching and listening to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. The Pharisees and the scribes were complaining rather than listening. Now that word complaining, it, it indicates really that they were kind of muttering, complaining among themselves. They weren't, you know, they weren't making it public. Uh, you know, they, they weren't shouting it out. They were just saying to each other, this guy, this guy certainly is not, is not, you know, at all. Or even a religious for pity's sake. I mean, look at these. He's hanging out with these sinners and tax collectors. You know what? what what's what's he? You know what? What, what in the world is he, he thinking and doing there? You know that that whole muttering uh, thing. Now look at the contrast. Look at the con- look at verse uh, the last verse of chapter fourteen. Is Jesus is speaking there? He says, "Anyone who has ears to hear should listen." Then it goes right into verse one. There, all the tax collectors were approaching and listening to him. Jesus said, "All you know, whoever has ears to hear should listen." And then we're told that all of the tax collectors were approaching and listening to him. They were listening to Jesus, but the Pharisees, but the Pharisees and the scribes complained. You know, they complained because they were caught up in what they saw as offenses of the moment. Jesus welcomed. These sinners. He was eating with them. That, that sign of acceptance, that sign of, of camaraderie, that sign of, of friendship, fellowship. They were eating together. And the Pharisees and scribes didn't even realize their need to repent. You see, they were more lost than the tax collectors and the sinners because they thought they were fine on their own. 
Right down in your outline. It's not on the screen because I had already had this all done. When Anyway, Matthew chapter 6, verse 23. Matthew chapter 6, verse 23. It says, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if that light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? If you think that you have it all together and you think that you have it all and you think that, well, you know, just really I'm okay. I'm not that bad. Look at these other people and I'm just okay. And he says, if, you, if you're beginning to believe that that light within you, you know, that, that, that is, is a true light and it's, it's really darkness... If you begin to believe a lie, if you begin, if you begin to, you know, to, to adhere to a lie, and you begin to put that up as, as true, as authentic, as, as you know, the right answer, and it goes against what God says, then what you're doing is you're believing darkness is light, and how deep is that darkness? Now, the Pharisees, they didn't rejoice because the tax collectors and the sinners were now re- listening to religious teaching. I hesitate to call it that. I look at it from the Pharisees and scribes' perspective. This was religious teaching, you see, and, and um, they, you know, they were offended because the the tax collectors were now, you know, that they were that they were listening. They were being exposed exposed to this, you know, this the, as Jesus was teaching them, and it says they complained. The people who needed God were oblivious to them. These people needed God and it didn't matter to them. You know, it didn't matter at all. Just write down in your outline, Matthew 9, 36. Matthew 9, 36. Read this this morning. When he, that's Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. Because they were weary and worn out like sheep without a shepherd. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When these scribes and Pharisees saw these sinners and tax collectors, they complained. They, you know, they, 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 just, uh, they were appalled you know, as to what was happening and what was going on. All three parables put great value on the lost. Uh, the first one, you know, the, the, the very ones you know, that the scribes and the Pharisees dismissed as not worthy of their time. Yet each parable shows the great effort put forth to find the lost. Now keep in mind, you know, Jesus is not really asking us to be concerned about sheep or, or coins. What he is telling us is to be concerned about people. That we're to be concerned about people. The shepherd ventures out into the wilderness. What did he do? He went where the lost one was wandering. The woman literally leaves no stone unturned. It's in her own home. And she leaves no stone unturned, you know, there in her home where she's used to being. She makes every conceivable effort to find what was lost. And the picture with the, of the prodigal son there, really a good picture of the loving father. Because what the father is doing is watching for any indication of repentance from his son. He said, while the son was still a long way off, the father ran out to meet him. While the, father, while the son was still a long way off, but now heading in the right direction. What did the father, it says he, you know, he ran to him. Now to us, that's not a very shocking thing. 
This was very shocking to them. Men, particularly older men, didn't run in their society. And to be able to run, they had to, well, King James gird their loins, you know, they had to pull up the, you know, and, and tie it so that they couldn't run. The fact that this man was running was a shock to them. And as soon as that man, as soon as that father, who was looking, who was watching, who was still aware of his son, even though he was out lost in the wilderness, and his father was still aware of his son, the moment that that son turned and started back toward him, it says, and the father ran to him and walked alongside him as he returned home. I just think that is such a great picture. Such a great picture. Says the tax collectors and sinners listened to Jesus. The tax collectors who were seen as traitors, who were excluded. The tax collectors were excluded from the religious life. They were excluded from the synagogue. They were excluded from the temple because they were seen as traitors. They were seen as vile and foul sinners. Sinners were also shunned by the Pharisees. The Pharisees would not even teach someone who they felt was a sinner. If they felt someone was a sinner, they wouldn't even teach them. They wouldn't be involved with anyone who was involved in what they considered a sinful occupation there. The Pharisees and the scribes, they weren't concerned about those without a relationship to God. They were condemning Jesus because he was concerned for the tax collectors and the sinners, the ones who really needed God. What concerns you when you see people? Are they in aggravation? You know, I, 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 do you just see a dirty sinner? Do you see a vile person? Or when you see someone that you consider a sinner, do you see someone who needs to know Christ? Do you see someone who needs to know the love of Jesus. All the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. Be concerned about those who don't know Jesus. You know, connect, connect with sinners intentionally you know connect look for them connect with them it is a matter of life and death for them it's a matter of life and death let them know that god offers complete forgiveness and acceptance and when they repent you know when, when they start walking toward jesus rejoice with them help them to see and know the love of god let's pray Father, thank you for your truth to us. And I thank you for the people you put in my life that connected with me, a sinner. I thank you for those who saw that it was really a matter of life and death for me. I thank you for the way that they let me know that God offered that complete forgiveness, that you offered that acceptance. I thank you for the way that when I repented, they walked alongside me and they rejoiced with me. They rejoiced over me. May we be that in other people's lives. May we be someone who helps them to uh, know that they are cared about by you. 
Father, remind us it's a matter of life and death for them. And to help them know that complete forgiveness and acceptance that is found only in you. And help us, Lord, to rejoice with them. We need you to continue to teach us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.